These may be challenging times, but have hope and listen to the untold health stories about incredible people who have committed their lives to better their communities. Diverse health activists, direct medical providers, community organizers that are helping our communities to get healthier and stronger. Stories of local heroes during the pandemic and even before that proves over and over again that people can come together during times of need and make the world a better place. Stories you would never hear of, except at Healthcare Untold, hosted by Barbara Ann Garcia. Our guest today is Dr. Laura Clapper, the Medical Director of the Commonwealth Care Alliance. Welcome to Healthcare Untold, Dr. Clapper. Hi, Baran. So great to see you this morning and get to have a conversation about community health. That's right. And, you know, you have many years in community health. We'd love to hear your journey before starting at CCA Health in California. It's interesting. My whole in my whole life, even growing up, I was very interested in community health and volunteered as a middle school student and a high school student in different community health organizations, whether with the American Red Cross and other organizations. And then um, during college, I was a big volunteer and got, became very interested in the whole idea of the community as an ecosystem that can help people both have connections and better health. And before I went to medical school, I worked as a Coral Foundation fellow in San Francisco and was an administrator for one of my internships for the North and Market Senior Service Center. And we really focused on seniors that were low income and had housing insecurity and really worked on how can we help them have better quality of life through better health care. So that really got me excited and inspired me about healthcare. And I went on to go to medical school. I wanted to go to medical school where I would be involved in really taking care of an ecosystem. So I thought about school, uh, Mayo Medical School. I ended up choosing the military medical school that is also the public health medical school in Bethesda, Maryland called the Uniformed Services University. And primarily why I chose it is in the military, we really do function as an ecosystem, as the medical director or the physician on a base. You may deal with the hospital or clinic, but also the food service, the water, the child development center. You're the like kind of the town doctor. And that that was a big draw for me with my interest in community health, as well as working with the public health officers and learning more about epidemiology and other things that would be, I think, very important for community health. Then, um, and I, it, but it's interesting, my master's was in Medicare, and then I ended up becoming board certified in pediatrics and also having a general medicine practice. And I loved pediatrics, not only for the child development, but also there's been a lot of progressive ideas around home visits and tracking with the maternal, working with the moms and babies in terms of better development, postpartum depression, and things like that. So I was, uh, I was really drawn to that. Immunization schedules, how do, you know, how do we improve health um, through the kind of family unit, which was really important to me. And also I've had a long commitment to school health and how do we think about school systems being part of the healthcare system, both in terms of school nurses, 
but also in terms of and teachers teaching better health and they're a key part of where children spend a big part of their day. Absolutely. I've always wondered about that, Dr. Clapper, how uh, the schools have been kind of neglected. I mean, they're on their own to try to develop their own medical systems. I've seen it both ways where the nurses were brought in by health departments and then the school district takes it over. And so that's an area that, you know, we really should focus on since kids are spending so much of their day at, uh, at the schools. Especially if you think about waking hours, they spend, you know, uh, probably 70% of their day in uh, at the school, especially if they're in after school activities or um, before and after school childcare and things like that, they can spend such a long part of their day. So that was, that's been a big interest to me. And I agree with you, Barbara Ann, that, you know, I think that it's, we could have a better system if we integrate the school healthcare in with the pub, in with public health and the uh, children's usual healthcare system. So mm -hmm. everyone kind of has, has one care plan. Mm -hmm. The other thing I really like about thinking about how schools fit into, you know, the care for children is that I've been a big proponent that we want to bring care to people and not have to make people go and come to the doctor, that we should get back to the days where the doctor went to visit the home or this whole idea of how can we do more family or member centric care. And so bringing when kids are in school, if they could get their care in school, then they would miss less school. They would probably have more services because they, because they wouldn't have to be, it wouldn't be disruptive. Parents would miss less work. So I think having us rethink about the school district being part of their like usual care would is really important. And you see pockets of people doing that, thinking about telehealth and other ways that they can bring um, care to the school. So I think it's a really interesting, important area where innovation is happening. Yes. Well, as the medical director at the CCA uh, in California, um, tell us a little bit about your organization and the role that you play. So CCA or Commonwealth Care Alliance has been in um, an organization for more than 20 years. Um, we actually expanded into California in um, the beginning of 2022. So relatively new for California. Mm -hmm. Our first two counties that we were um, a health plan in were Santa Clara and San Joaquin County in Northern California. One more uh, suburban and one more rural. So it's kind of a good mix of working with providers and members who are in different kind of areas with different kinds of service delivery systems. And that's really because CCA felt that they wanted to bring their model of care of really taking care of individuals who have high needs in into California and felt that a, a nonprofit plan was is really important in terms of delivering the best care possible to patients and members. I was really drawn to CCA and one of the reasons why I joined is I, I, one, I appreciate that they're nonprofit, and two, I, I really um, am inspired by their commitment to community health and really um, 
thinking about how do we bring the care to the, the patient or the member. And so that very much aligned with my values and philosophy of care. I also was, I've done a lot of work with commercial and working with employers, and I was excited to get back to work with a Medicare patients and members because it's such a growing area, more than 10,000 people age into Medicare every day. And by 2030, all baby boomers will be it part of Medicare yeah. and over 65. So, yeah. you know, it's such a big population that I think it's, it's so important and people are living longer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's a really important for us to think about how do we provide the best care possible? And really, what does the best care mean? And how do we do it in a family center? So just like my pediatric training of working with patients and their moms and dads and their families, now as we get older, it's kind of the reverse, right? We're dealing with patients and talking to their uh, children, but their children are also sometimes, many times they're caregivers or helping provide extended care. And so, you know, I'm really drawn to this idea about the ecosystem and the family and supporting the family and the patient where they are. Right. And just for the listening audience, you know, um, health plans are one of the, um, it's the umbrella for the services, the health services for people for their insurance plans, and even Medi-Cal or Medicaid patients as well. And you join a health plan and that brings you to resources from a multiple systems of care. I mean, like Kaiser is under one umbrella. Uh, I assume uh, your organization has contracts with multiple health services to provide the care for your patients or your members. Yes, no, that's a very good point. And health plans really tie together your doctors, your hospitals, maybe your transportation, your pharmacy, all those different services tie it together. And then if you're someone who has Medicare and Medicaid, then it's going to also tie in social services. Yes. And then as the medical director, I assume, Dr. Clapper, that you're looking at the quality pieces of those um, services that you provide through these providers to ensure that their qualitative services are on point and also that uh, your members are happy with their services. Yes. No, quality is definitely very important, both in terms of um, quality and in terms of what we call in Medicare STARS. So the preventive services, are you getting your annual wellness visit? Are you getting your mammogram if you're in the right age range? Did you get your flu vaccine? Did you get your other vaccines now that are recommended like the new RSV vaccine? Mm -hmm. And then there's other ones like if you have chronic diseases, are you taking your medication? Do you do you have access to behavioral health? All those things. So there's more preventive, chronic conditions, access. And then also, like if you're in the hospital, did you get the right care? Were you, you know, did you have any complications and all that part of quality also? So quality is very important. Access and really continuity of care with your provider is another area that's really important. Do you know what your conditions are? Do you know your medications? Do you know like when you're supposed to go to the doctor, kind of what your plan is, what you're supposed to do for yourself, like get your refills and take your medications and what your doctor's going to be monitoring and checking for you. 
I think in some ways we would think that's, I think about it as a care plan that's a combination <laughs> of your self-management, what maybe your health plan care manager is going to help you with and what your doctor treatment plan, it's all combined into one care plan. So we all know as the different people supporting you and you yourself as informed consumer, everybody knows what the plan is. When we talk about pediatrics and you think like zero to 18 and kids change a lot between being a newborn to, you know, a late adolescent at 18 and sometimes pediatrics go into the college years that there's a lot of change in those 18 years. When you think about 65 to these days, 95 or higher, we're talking about 30 years and there's a lot of change. Yeah. Right. A 65 year old is working prime alive. We used to think about that like past middle age. Now 65 is middle age, right? Because (laughs) you might live to in your 90s. So, you know, you can't even get full social security to depending on your age to 67, 68 or something. So your prime of life, that's a much different per you grew up on computers, you text people. So the person who can make an online appointment at 65 or 67, you know, into their 70s, I think they're quite adept at it. That's great. And you get to people who are maybe 80, 85, 90. um, They probably are less familiar with cell phones and laptops and things like that because of what they had when they were working. But also they start to have things like macular degeneration or other kinds of, you know, that they're seeing or hearing can be impacted. Mm-hmm. And so it starts being more, some of the uh, accessibility issues sometimes are improved on laptops because you can actually not just read it, but maybe have it read to you and things like that. Sometimes it's harder. So I really think of Medicare probably in two or three segments, the kind of 65 to 80, 80, 90, 90 plus, or some people say, you know, 65 to 75, 75 to 85, 85 to 95, but whatever it's, it's people have different needs. And the other thing is, any one person, one of those ages, completely, completely different depending on, you know, how well they took care of themselves, their family, genetics, the kind of, you know, how, how, how hard they had to push their body to their for their work and occupation and things like that. You know, I was wanted to talk a little bit about the impact of uh, COVID on our health plans. And it was really so interesting because we're talking about technology, how quickly telehealth became uh, so easy to obtain, where prior to that, it was, you know, kind of clunking along and getting introduced. And then all of a sudden, it became the main source of care for people. I still think about it. And I get really kind of inspired because I'm someone who's worked in digital health and innovation for a long time and worked on, um, particularly I worked on the CalPERS account and we, because of all the rural areas that um, we need to take care of in California, where you have different school districts and prisons and municipals, municipalities, we were really spending a lot of time on different like e-consoles, working with primary care doctors who would then telehealth in specialists at one of the UC you know, hospitals and medical groups and different strategies. And we just did not get very much adoption. And you're right, overnight with COVID, we had such a great adoption 
in healthcare with telehealth. I think people, you know, it's change is hard. And I think when people, all of a sudden that was the only way you were going to see your doctor, everyone figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And figured yeah. it out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the question is now how, what's the, when is it okay? You know, when is it good? And when do you really need to go to see the doctor? We're not quite there yet. Yeah. If you have a regular doctor and you just have a rash or some other issue and you need to show that to your doctor, it makes total sense. If you're someone who lives a couple hours from an academic medical center and you have a chronic disease that maybe is your impacts your immune system or you need to see a rheumatologist or an oncologist for a regular appointment and they're going to look at your numbers, you could get your labs drawn closer to home instead of having to drive two or three hours to San Francisco or LA or, Mm -hmm. you know, Davis, you could just, you know, have a telehealth appointment with your specialist. And, you know, that is, you know, better safety, you know, just the loss of time, you know, it's like time saving, all those different things. And you get to have continuity continuity of care. You're not trying to see oncologist in town and then go to see the specialist oncologist then come back. You can just keep seeing the same oncologist. So I think that part is great. I think if you have something like if you have back pain, I think it's really hard for, and you haven't seen, you haven't had a visit where someone's made a diagnosis. So they're trying to diagnose you through telehealth. It's hard to do a lot of the aspects of the physical exam. Yes, understood. So I think, you know, it it depends. I think first visits or one of the first visits need to be in person. So you make sure that you've kind of made that connection and they've been able to do a full physical exam. Yeah, I really felt like some people just wanted that, you know, eye to eye with their doctor and even that little touch to make sure that they were okay. And so, but boy, telehealth has made such a big difference for the health care services for so many people. Uh, And particularly we had to during the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. Um, I wanted to ask um, the other, you know, understanding that you went to San Joaquin, which is a really um, incredible county uh, with the large Hispanic community. Um, You know, Latinos are very family oriented. And so this whole concept of family care, I think would go really well with Latino families in, in, uh, many of our communities throughout the country, but particularly in this county, in San Joaquin County. Can you tell me a little bit about how you try to generate uh, or the the system of care for families where you have uh, multiple kids and parents and uh, sometimes it's just easier to bring the whole family in? No, the, the, I, those are very good points. Um, I think that, and I grew up in Los Angeles, so that really resonates with me. And I think the family is so important. One of the things that CCA focuses on is integrating care and delivering medical, behavioral health, and social support together, which can help members as they grow older or so they can age well. One of the main, I think, aspects of CCA is the community health workers and just to give an example is, you know, depending on if they're on Medicare and Medicaid, but we really look at social determinants of health. And um, for example, we had a member, Tom, who 
qualified for public housing. Everyone was telling him to go get public housing, but he kept not getting it and going to the emergency room and having a lot of housing insecurity and different addresses. And really the community health worker went and helped him get his documentation, his, his income and different things like that, and actually helped him apply so he could get public housing. And I think a lot of times when we talk about barriers to get the support, social supports that people need, it's just not being told, oh, you have food insecurity. Well, I think a lot of times people are like, I know I I spend time being hungry, right? That's like, that's not news to me. It's really figuring out how do you help that person have more regular food? Right, right. Right. Do they get, you know, are they part of the food bank and they know where to go and they have transportation? Is it sometimes with seniors, they have the access to the food, but they don't have the transportation to go. You know, they have the income, but they don't have the way to go get it or they don't know how to cook it. Right. Because how you used to cook, maybe you don't see like my own mother-in-law. She couldn't even she was having so much problems with her vision. She couldn't use the stove. Right. Right. And then we were trying to have her use the microwave, but. She couldn't figure out where the start button is or the one minute. We actually glued beads on her microwave so she would know, be able to, it's kind of like Braille for the microwave, right? right? She would know which one was the start, the clear, and the one minute button. Yeah. Well, food right? security. So people so have reasons that they're not, that they're having food insecurity or hunger. It's all those things, right? Right. You know, there was a study in San Francisco where they gave people, uh, a week of food um, when they left the hospital. Um, and their readmission rates when they tracked that were lower for people who had that food that was given to them. And then of course they connected them to the food banks and other mm -hmm. resources in their own community. So food security is so wonderful to hear how, you know, uh, health workers can really just bring all of those pieces together for people because, you know, as we know, people need housing, they need food to have a healthy lifestyle. And um, I think uh, it's great to hear that health plans are starting to look at those social determinants uh, because ultimately we want healthy people. We also want to reduce healthcare costs and all of those two things go together, I assume, for your health plan. Housing insecurity starts to be even more difficult as we work to bring services out to the home. Because um, when you think about it, like if you're going to have mail order medication, you can't have mail order medication uh -huh. if you don't know what your address is going to be. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Or if you need tubing for your nebulizer or other kinds of uh, durable medical equipment like your sleep apnea machine or all kinds of things that are your oxygen. It's very hard to get the supplies and track and do all those things if you don't know who you're living with next week. So, you know, I think, you know, it becomes more important or if you need to have infusion, it's great to be able to get home therapy or home infusion and not have to go to the hospital. But what happens if you don't have a home? Right. No, that's right. A Even in shelter home, uh, in housing shelters, that a lot of times they're in bunk beds, and seniors can't get on the top bunk. That's right. And they're worried about having seniors with in wheelchairs and mm -hmm. other kinds of 
you know, equipment being in a shelter, both for the, you know, for their safety, as well as being concerned about tracking their equipment and things like that. So uh, when you, when you have a chronic condition or you're, you know, sick, having, it's just compounded when you have housing insecurity. Dr. Clapper, tell us about uh, one of your, uh, one of your days at uh, CCA Health. So my day, I usually starts off pretty early because we're, you know, our headquartered, we're headquartered in Boston. So I get up and I really try to see what's going on today. Is anything new happening? And then one of the things I love about my job, besides just overall trying to solve hard problems and helping people, which is kind of a cliche, but that is really what inspires me, helping people have better health care, is just the variety of different um, people I interact with. And one of the things I love about CCA is everyone I work with is so committed uh, to helping, you know, really working with um, patients who have significant needs and really making the system work for them and bringing in this concept of integrating medical, behavioral health, and social support together. And just some of the best people I've worked with. So I, I love working with my other team members. The kinds of things that I work on, it may be how do we contract with more providers in California? We're working on expanding to other counties. In 2024, we've added two more counties, Stanislaus and Merced. So we're at four counties, but we were really looking in 2025 to expand further. So working with new providers, working with our current providers, and, you know, do they have any questions about quality or how they're reviewing different cases or complex cases that they want kind of a second opinion on? So we work together. It may be also working, I chair our utilization management committee. So looking at our medical policies, um, looking at our data, like where we think we have improvements that we want to alert someone you know, think about how can we make inter different interventions. It may include working with emergency room doctors on people who come to the emergency room a lot or people who get readmitted, what we could do differently so they don't get readmitted. So I, I really like working in a matrix or with a team. Mm -hmm. And working at CCA really allows me to work with the team from the community health workers, the nurses, the pharmacists, the advanced practice nurses or the nurse practitioners, you know, full range of team members. So that's really great. That's wonderful. Well, Len, we just wanted to give you uh, a couple more minutes if you had any last comments for us as the medical director of CCA Health. One thing I wanted to bring is, I, as we mentioned, I really uh, am very inspired by community health workers and how we can bring the care to the patient or the member at their home with their family. And I had the opportunity to go to Rwanda with the University of Global Health Equity in August. And when they're a project of Partners in Health, which is a global organization uh, that Paul Far Dr. Paul Farmer started. And well, it was really interesting. I got to go with, I had specifically asked if I could go with some of their community health workers and how they work with the medical students there and learning about community health workers. I think that's something that the U.S. could learn from Rwanda. And um, we got to go to a village, go to a home for someone having one of their prenatal 
not appointments with their OBGYN, but their community health worker appointment. And they went through like preparing to get things ready to go to the hospital. Like, did she have diapers, other things that she needed, blanket and outfit for the baby, what she had for herself. There, if you feel it go into labor, the community health worker walks you to the clinic because they don't have cars. Right. Right. So that was, and then if you, and you see a midwife, and then if you're having a complication, then they'll take you from the clinic to the hospital so you can be monitored with the um, OBGYN. But it was very interesting how they have their protocols, a very good system. And then they actually will text in the numbers. So that in the state, well, this, the country of Rwanda, they can actually see of like people who are pregnant, how many visits they've had from their community health worker and different data like that. So they can, they have a very high prevention focused country policy That's that wonderful. they've really worked hard to implement. So that, okay. was, that was really exciting to see both how they have their community health workers set up, how they work with the medical students and then how they track the results and they can look at where there's maybe gaps and opportunities. Well, it's getting really at that basic level of the, the health worker to the family and, the, uh, and then back to the system of care and back to the community health worker so that uh, that's an incredible community story of, 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 of healthcare and how you can make healthcare uh, a real community-based service. So I really appreciate mm, that great. story, Dr. Clapper. Well, we're so happy and honored to have you today. And um, we just want to thank Dr. Laura Clapper, the Medical Director of Commonwealth Care Alliance. And thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Clapper. Thank you so much, Barbara Ann, for having me. This is important topics, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about community health and CCA Health of California. Thank you so much. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold.